What's going on and welcome into a Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. And well, the Pelicans hit the road for one game. They did not lose, but they also did not win after their game was postponed last night um, due to the Sixers having some trouble with health and safety protocols. So they did get back home late last night and we'll get ready for the Portland Trailblazers on Tuesday. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the NBA's rookie class today with Steve Ashburner, who covers the NBA. He's a senior writer for NBA.com. Does more than just the rookie ladder, but that's what we want to focus on today as he joins us on the podcast. Steve, how are you? Good to talk to you. I'm doing great. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, same to you. Same to you. Uh, Let's start with um, kind of the parameters of the rookie ladder, because look, we've had Michael C. right on, and he's talked about the MVP ladder, but we saw Herbert Jones creep up on the rookie ladder last week. We'll get to him in a second. But kind of what are your parameters for the rookie ladder? How much of it is numbers-based? How much is it is your eye test watching it? How much is it the team's win-loss record? Kind of take us through your process of coming up with the ladder. Yeah, it is it's it is a mixed bag, as, as you indicate. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The numbers matter. Uh, and uh, the number that particularly matters is minutes. Um, if, a, if a rookie is in the rotation, if he's uh, being counted on by his team, I mean, you can't win a rookie of the year award unless that's the case. And as I look at it, the rookie ladder really is just sort of a uh, living, breathing, extended rookie of the year ballot. I mean, the, the rookie ballot is three spots, not a lot to work with there. Um, but by, by having 10 spots, to me, it's a way to sort of monitor guys, keep track. Um, it's nice when there's movement. It's nice if, when it's dynamic. Um, but there are certain years when, uh, I think this is my third year doing this for us. Um, some years where it, it gets to be pretty locked into, you know, a few guys, but I think, I think by and large, if, 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 if somebody has, you know, regulars minutes, I'm, I'm thinking 20 plus. I mean, that's going to go a long way um, because it's it's rare someone would play that much and not play well. Now, they might not put up big scoring numbers or other type of things, but they're playing well somehow. And you mentioned eye test. I, I happened to see Herb Jones and the Pelicans really early when they were in Chicago uh, to start this season. And you know, I had to scramble with with my uh, uh, whatever I had available for for research, uh, you know, notes and things. Herb Jones, Herb Jones, and you know, and then I sort of saw um, his background and 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 who he was and how he got there. And um, he wasn't on the rookie ladder, you know, all the way through. But I I think I've had him up there a couple of times at least now, and um, it is primarily for his defense. I was about to say, he's, he's not putting up the numbers offensively like you normally see for a rookie of the year candidate, but you mentioned it. Um, one of the tops in the league as far as rookies in steals up there in the top five and block shots. So what is it about him that finally got you on the list? What about his defense that you were saying, all right, he at least gets on the ladder now. Let's see if he can climb it. Well, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, I liked his defense enough. Uh, I was just hoping that, that he could – put up a few offensive numbers to, to justify and he, and he did a little bit more scoring and, and to me, he, he uh, leapfrogged, you know, some of those guys who were, um, you know, on the bottom, you know, two, three spots. Um, and uh, I read, I read one story 
it might have been Jim, I'm not sure, but he, where he had talked about how he likes to take charges. Now, it wasn't backed up in terms of like he's not in the top 10 in the NBA in taking charges, but, you know, for the Pelicans, I guess that's a skill he brings and his willingness to do that, um, you know, shows his focus on defense. And the way the season started with um, scoring down, you know, pretty much across the board, it seemed like it was going to be a more defensive minded year. And, um, those were just sort of things that had him in the hopper. I mean, every week I do it, I have to settle on 10. Sometimes I fudge and have a tie for that 10 spot. But then there's another three to five guys who are like in the green room and, uh, you know, ready to ready to move up if somebody moves down. Or as we've seen lately with Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green, they've both been hurt and not participating. And to me, it's like, at this point in the season, it's too early to sort of lock in and say, well, the guy's going to get a bunch of rookie of the year votes. Therefore, he's got to stay put. Last year was funky with LaMelo Ball because it seemed like he was a front runner for rookie of the year. And then he was out potentially for the rest of the regular season when he when he uh, suffered a, a fracture in his, was his thumb or his wrist. And we weren't quite sure what to do. We didn't want to relegate him out or off the ladder. Um, and so kind of locked him in at number five and worked around him because I thought his, what he had up to the injury had, had, had been that impressive. Um, you know, as opposed to Zion a couple of years ago where it was just too little too late. And uh, then when ball came back, he was able to assert himself. He moved up the ladder. I'm not saying it had anything, anything to do with, the actual voting on rookie of the year, except for my own ballot. And he ended up winning that award. So um, Suggs and green are off now. And that means there's some room to, uh, you know, to shine a light on some other guys like Herb Jones. Before I get to Jim, you mentioned a guy like Herb Jones and the numbers are not there yet. Offensively. He's had some games where he's put up 17, 19 points. He is in the starting lineup now. So he's definitely in the rotation. Can a guy like Herbert Jones that doesn't actually put up the offensive numbers creep up there and be in contention for the rookie of the year just based on his defense? Have, have we seen a guy get that close with that, or or does the offense have to catch up with the defense in order to, to be considered one of those favorites? I'm trying to recall. Maybe you guys can point it out to me, but a guy, a, a rookie who won on defense, um, I just don't think it happens. Usually it's – I mean, it's almost like uh, the sixth man. Um, yeah, you know, MVPs, I mean, one, sometimes they they bring that defensive side as well. But most of these awards, um, the focus is on what, you know, yeah, the rebounding numbers are important, but it's also their passing and assists. Um, yeah, I mean, if Herb Jones were to somehow over what's left of this season become a, uh, a top candidate for rookie of the year, I mean, all, all praise to him and his teammates and his coaches, and probably a whole lot of rookies would be in uh, COVID protocols. <laughs> Fair enough. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, you know, it's interesting to think about that in terms of historically, has there been a rookie that's been mostly a defender or that or def defense, at least is his primary strength of whether they've even been a candidate for rookie of the year? I would say no, but I think there's probably really kind of two reasons, two main reasons. One, um, most rookies struggle. There really aren't that many rookies that come into the NBA like Herb has and done really well at that end of the floor. And I think another thing, too, is – most of the voters, this is just being realistic. They're not doing kind of deep dives into the rookie class the way you are, where you have to have rankings and you have to really study all these guys. 
So I think a lot of times the default is production in terms of statistically and numerically. Um, a lot of the best rookies in the league are on teams that are not competitive and teams that are kind of near the bottom of the standings. So you tend to kind of go with the guys that have the stats and have the flashier stuff that jumps out at you because the, they tend to not be guys that are on national TV a ton. So I think that that, that those are both big factors of why if, if I had to guess, I would say there's probably never been a rookie of the year that's averaged, you know, single digits or averaged maybe even less than say 12, 14 points a game. So that, that is interesting to think about though, in terms of what's realistic for a player who's, you know, biggest strength is the defensive end. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that you talked about that I was going to go through. Um, but I know we don't have all day to discuss this, but um, you, you mentioned the article about Herb as far as drawing charges is one of his big things. And I think it may have been, it, it's very possible that that was an article, the article that I wrote about him recently. And this is kind of a funny aside. At the time I noted that he only had three charges drawn in the um, official stats even though the night, I think it was the night before he drew two against Jeremy Grant of Detroit. And at that point, he, in my head, he already had eight or 10 charges drawn. So I figured, okay, he has three, you add two from the Jeremy Grant game and he's probably up in the, you know, double digits, at least I just checked, literally just checked charges drawn on NBA.com hustle stats. And it still has him as three charges drawn. So I I have no idea how to explain that. Or if, if there's is there's a conspiracy to not um, credit him with the charges that he's drawn this season. So that's but that's a whole other subject. Um, going back to kind of the rookie ladder and the rookie class in general, I, I was wondering, obviously, you talk to a lot of people around the NBA and you're very tuned into the, the rookies for obvious reasons. What, what's your feeling for, you know, the performance of this rookie class in terms of you know, how productive they've been, how good this class has been so far based on what people were expecting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just some housekeeping. Um, I looked real quick and um, in 2017, Malcolm Brogdon with Milwaukee, then he averaged 10.2 points and he was there. It was a bad year for rookies. I mean, he yeah. won in the second round um, and, you know, that was his, his big achievement early in the NBA's history in the fifties, there were some guys who averaged even under 10 points. Um, and a guy, a guy named Mel Hutchins and Bill Toshev tied for rookie of the year. And they were, they average under 10 points hmm. by and large, even when guys have, have averaged, you know, 11, 12, 13, they still seen as offensive players you know, I look at Wes Unseld back in 1969, he averaged 13.8 points. He was rookie of the year, and I believe MVP the same year. He averaged 18.2 rebounds. Um, their 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 team did surprisingly well, a big leap, and but it it basically confirms it. I mean, you think of defensive minded guys like David Robinson. He averaged over 20 points. Tim Duncan averaged over 20 points. So that's it's pretty much gone that way. As far as the charges and the conspiracy, I mean, I you know, I'm I was around long enough. I know I remember the. Uh, the speculation that not, well, let's put it this way, that John Stockton seemed to rack up more assists at home than on the road. And that there was something about the Salt Lake City stats crew that was overly friendly when it came to um, giving Stockton, who's the all-time leader, assists. So if we can't 100%, um, and we all just sort of agree to play along, if but if we can't, 
agree on assists, a major stats category, it wouldn't surprise me at all that there's um, different definitions, different interpretations, and different totals that are logged for uh, for a guy. I remember that from the story, pointing out that, well, wait a minute, he only has these many, and then we had two last night. You know, it was that t- type of a thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it makes it a little uh, difficult to go hard and fast just on stats. So if mm-hmm. I think that's a good caution uh, to do that. As far as the, the rookie class of uh, 2021, the draft class, I think, I think it's excellent. I think um, there have been players that have had greater impact than they were expected to and in different ways. I mean, when you look at, I mean, the top six that I've had in one order or another um, for most of this um, this season, I mean they're 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 solid. Evan Mobley, uh, Scotty Barnes, um, Cade Cunningham got a late start with Detroit, but he has sort of you know been rushing up the charts with a bullet. Um, Franz Wagner and uh, Josh Giddy have really had a, a firm grip on those top five. Chris Duarte with Indiana. You know, and then you start to see, you know, a little bit of a drop off. But as I said earlier, you look at those guys and, and you know, they're all playing major minutes and they are all being leaned on by their team. I mean, some with greater results than others. Evan Mobley is the winningest rookie by a wide margin with Cleveland. And you could say, well, Cleveland had other things blossom this season, but you can't separate Mobley from that. And the way he has contributed to that, I mean, he looks to me like a rookie who's, you know, if he had a little gray in his beard and a little gray at his temples, you know, you would be able to claim he's a veteran by the way he plays. And, um, you know, so I think it's a deeper class than maybe we thought when when we were all doing our mock drafts and, and trying to project the order of the first round. Um, that's always a good thing. I mean, new blood is great. And, um, you know, not as much last season, you know, because I think there was a big step after Ball and uh, Anthony Edwards. But um, I think this one is, you know, a deeper class overall. Um, I, I think one of the things that you, you talk about that I think is interesting and kind of a credit to Herb Jones as well is this has been a very strong first couple months of the season for this rookie class, like you mentioned. I mean, the fact that he's been, Herb has been able to make it into your top 10, even though he was the 35th pick, I think is definitely something that is, is a nice – accomplishment feather in his cap so far um last thing for me um i was wondering kind of how much you kind of referenced this a second ago how much do you pay attention to kind of the pre-draft analysis that everyone does every year and and based on that i mean what do you think are have been some of your biggest surprises as far as some of the guys in this rookie class maybe either in terms of how high a guy has moved up the ladder or um maybe certain skills that a guy has, has shown that was not something that was part of the analysis. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I probably don't um, uh, cook that in very much to uh, to what I do. I, I, I sort of start from uh, draft order and go from there. Um, you know, and if, if somebody's playing well and they're a second round pick, then, you know, it's sort of like unofficial bonus points for that. Um, sure. I, I, I trust that anything prior to the draft is baked into where they were picked. And then from that point, you know, you sort of bring it out of there and, uh, and see where they are. I mean, if you're the number one pick overall, the expectations are great. Um, 
with Kate Cunningham, for instance, uh, you know, the, the team is doing so badly. The difficult part is to try to assess his play distinct from the results. And, you know, we hear this about bad teams in general. Somebody's got to score. Somebody's got to have the ball in his hands. Um, if it's a high, a highly drafted rookie, you know, that, that you want to, you don't want to hold that against them. The draft is set up that the bad teams get the best prospects, but, um, you know, it's the guys who overachieve that I think get a little bit of extra consideration. I, I, you know, to really pull back the curtain, I mean, I'll tell people all the time because they'll ask me about a great college game, um, during the course of the regular season. And, uh, I'll say, you know what? I watch so much NBA basketball that I would probably be divorced if I tried to watch a lot of NCAA basketball. <laughs> I got to draw the line somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good stuff there. Steve, Steve when is the next rookie ladder going to come out? It comes out on Wednesdays, usually midday, and, uh, uh, noon or one o'clock uh, Eastern time. Uh, so yeah, we're just a couple days away. I, 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 I sort of set up a stats filter so it'll include any games through Monday night and then then just sort of pour over that stuff on uh, on Tuesdays to pull that together. So we'll see. I, have, I haven't even checked to see what what Herb has done uh, most recently. And um, but it's going to be a little funkier this time because the sample size will be smaller. Some guys just haven't had the game opportunities with the, uh, the cancellations or their own uh, entry into uh, to protocols. So, yeah, it'll. Uh, I see. I see. He did. He did score seventeen against whatever passed for the Milwaukee team that they played, and uh, he wasn't tested defensively against Giannis. I don't think that day, but um, you know that's not his fault. So um, we'll see. I, I, you know, I have to have a reason to. Uh, I usually don't have to have reasons to bump guys down, other than them getting hurt. It's usually that there's enough positive stuff from somebody else that they might leapfrog a guy, you know, for a week or two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he had 17 points in the eventual game winner in overtime. So I'm just going to slide that in there for you in case you need. Go. All right. That'll factor in. That will factor in as they did beat the bucks in overtime. They were shorthanded, but Pelicans right now can take all the wins they can get. And uh, we'll be back in action tomorrow night against the Portland trailblazers. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Ash NBA, A S C H N B A. You can look out for the rookie ladder on Wednesdays on NBA.com. Steve, I really appreciate the time. Great insight on how you put this thing together, and we'll talk to you down the line. Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. Good stuff there from Steve Ashburner. Of course, again, you can follow him on Twitter at AshNBA. And, Jim, you know, it's kind of uh, great to hear some insight on kind of how he ranks the rookie class because, look, guys can rank them differently, and he talked about how good this rookie class has been. And, look, we'll see some of those guys on the rookie ladder this week, not so much against the Portland Trailblazers Tuesday, but – Franz Wagner plays for the Magic. We'll play them on Thursday if they can get back to health and safety protocols as their game has been canceled tonight. And then you have Josh Giddy in the Oklahoma City Thunder today after Christmas. And next week, if Evan Mobley gets out of health and safety protocols, the Pelicans will welcome him and the Cavaliers in next Tuesday. So um, it was kind of interesting to hear his take on the rookie class, and I kind of agree. This this one stands out a little bit based on the guys, that how much they're playing and how much they've been factored into these teams' wins and loss records. Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny – I think we've talked about this in past years that I feel like there's been a lot of years where whatever analysis and um, talk about a draft class has honestly been proven kind of wrong in a lot of years where there've been seasons where off seasons, where people have said, 
this is a really strong rookie class. And then the season starts and you're disappointed. And then there's been other years where people have said, you know, this is going to be weak. There's not too many guys that are going to contribute, but it has proven to be the opposite of that. And there some, there's a bunch of surprises this year. I feel like people generally thought that there was going to be some good contributions from this class. And it's been true. Now, some of the guys that haven't produced at the rate that, we thought they would, or based on their draft slot have, that's also been the case with a couple of players. Um, Jalen Suggs was a guy that people thought maybe would be number one or, or very close to the top of the draft that has had a really rough start to the season. And now he's injured. Um, and Steve mentioned a couple other guys that, you know, had kind of shaky starts, but have picked it up lately. But um, overall though, I'm, I'm really impressed with this rookie class. Um, some of the guys like Franz Wagner have been, people had their doubts about his offense and he's had some great offensive games. Um, Scotty Barnes is a guy for Toronto who um, people were real there. Maybe not everyone in terms of the draft analysts, but there were definitely several people that said, you know, he's just, he's not going to, he's not ready to score at the NBA level. And he comes in and has had a bunch of big games and he's one of Toronto's best offensive players. So that has been kind of disproven as well. But um, one of the things that Herb has been part of is, I, I noticed when I was looking through kind of scouting, say, same thing with Steve, where I, I, I can't follow college basketball that much. There's not enough time in no. the day. So, but I, I thought that there were a lot of, there were more defensive guys this year coming into the NBA than usual. There were more players where when you read the scouting, the quick cliff note scouting reports, the first item on the list was strong defensive player. And I think obviously Herb is, has been able to follow through with, carrying that onto the court, which is you're always skeptical of rookies in terms of what they can do defensively because it's such a massive adjustment, but um, players like him. And uh, there's a couple other guys that have been strong at, at the defensive end, Evan Mobley probably being the number one example where the guy is a force at the defensive end. He's a great rim protector, shot blocker um, is very mobile, can move his feet. He's great against pick and rolls. Those are some of the traits that you don't often see from rookies because of the inexperience. And frankly, some of these guys, Herb is not in this category, but a lot of these guys are 19, 20 years old. So there's a maturity, both physically and mentally that they have to go through. So I think that is among the things that I have noted and been impressed by the most with this rookie group is just that, you know, a lot of them have been good defensive players, which is not something you usually expect. Yeah, and going back real quick to Scotty Barnes, I remember on draft night, a lot of people were surprised that Toronto took them ahead of Jalen Suggs at Orlando. People were kind of like, that was kind of not the domino effect, but that was a, a pretty, oh my goodness, what's going on here? That the fact that, I mean, Scotty Barnes was playing at Florida State too. Naturally, you think it would have been the right fit for him to go to Orlando going right down mm -hmm. the road. But when he got yep. picked to Toronto, and Toronto obviously knew what they were doing with picking him. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of one of the, main surprises that we saw come out of draft night. But um, before we let you go here, look, unexpectedly the Pelicans have, will have three days of rest and I have practice today before they welcome in the Portland trailblazers. Pretty rare that they do have the three days based on the condensed schedule, but just based on how it happened here as the Pelicans did go to Philadelphia, we were there on Saturday and uh, Sunday right after shoot around got the alert that this game might be in jeopardy. And an hour later um, it was, but the kind of the funny thing is, is, Team plane could not leave until later on that night due to the fact that it was already scheduled for after the game. So uh, we got in last night, <laughs> like we actually did a game, but um, nonetheless, I think it'll be good for the Pelicans. It, it was a shame that we didn't get to play or the team didn't get to play. I certainly don't play um, against Philadelphia, but 
I think the good news is they did get some much needed rest and we'll get some good preparation in a, in a pretty big week for the Pelicans. I would say based on the schedule, as far as games that the Pelicans can take, you know, again, they could win every game based on who they play. But when you look at the schedule, it's Portland, Orlando, OKC, all three teams that have struggled this year. Um, this could be a big week for New Orleans. Definitely. I mean, I know we haven't talked about it that much because, and there's good reason why we haven't, but I mean, the Pelicans only three games out of the 10th spot in the West, which is the final play in tournament slot. So the game against Portland is significant from that standpoint of that. The trailblazers are tied for 10th right now with Sacramento. The Kings do play Monday night. So it's possible the Kings will slide a half game ahead of Portland, though that's going to be difficult because they're at golden state, but, but either way, I mean, this is a important game for new Orleans of playing the trailblazers. And I think like you referenced, you got to take advantage of some of these stretches because they've been few and far between where you're actually playing teams that don't have winning records. Um, we'd have to go back and look at this, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that this is the first time that they've had, they'll have three games in a row against teams that have losing records. I don't think that that's happened all year. Um, something that, you know, does not come up very frequently. So you got to have a big week. It's funny. The, the game being postponed at Philadelphia, meant that the Pelicans had their first perfect week of the season at two and oh. So that helps. Um, and they've had their seven and five in their last 12 games. So I mean, there's no doubt that they're playing much better than they were at the beginning of the season. Um, in terms of the game being postponed and them not having to play a game, you would hope that, you know, it helps with the legs, but I, I think the fact that they got in late, I, I wonder how much that kind of counteracts it. Um, I remember several years ago, they, they, I don't know if you remember this trip specifically, but they, we had travel issues. We were trying to go from Indianapolis to Miami. And I think it was in January because it was yep. really bad snow. And I asked Drew Holiday, I think it was before the Miami game was played or maybe it was after, if it helped that they had a, they had a, a game that wasn't played, you know, to not be on their feet and not log those minutes. And he looked at me like I was completely insane, which maybe I was. So, um, it's it, it, it seems like, you know, it helps that you don't have the minutes, but if, if you guys are getting in one, two, you're not getting to bed until two or three o'clock and then you're back at practice this morning, it probably, it doesn't help too much, but, um, but, but hopefully they can either way. I hope they can just carry through, carry over with the way they've been playing lately. Obviously the OKC game was a game we'll remember for a long time. And the Bucks win was a really good win. We talked about it on post-game radio, even though Milwaukee was shorthanded, and I think people nationally, that's their one of their biggest takeaways from that game was, oh, the Bucs didn't have some of their main guys. But I thought the Pelicans were able to overcome a few things that were negative on their side of the ledger to be able to get a win that was really big. Yeah, absolutely. Again, win's a win. And uh, Portland's won two in a row now after being on a seven-game losing streak. So they've been playing some good basketball. They defeated a really good Memphis Grizzlies team last night in Memphis. So should be a good one with Damian Lillard and company coming tomorrow. It's a holiday game, so make sure you dress up in your holiday attire as it's the last home game before the Christmas holiday. So I know Jim will be in his Santa hat. I'm going to rock my sweater, my sweater that lights up. You've seen it before. As long as it doesn't catch on fire in the middle of the game, I'm going to be <laughs> ready to roll with it. And, uh, Jim, I appreciate the time. This will actually be our first game day where we really don't have a podcast tomorrow. Usually our podcasts are on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I feel like hmm. this is our first game on a Tuesday, and – and God knows how long. So um, I look forward to uh, talking with you on Wednesday, hopefully recapping another win and could be the first three game winning streak of the season for New Orleans. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I, it's funny. The, w- with the way the NBA tries to set up the back to backs, 
it feels like the Pelicans have had a lot of Friday, Saturday back-to-backs. And I think that it's led, led into that with Monday, Wednesday. So I think now they're kind of back on, they're going to be going to more of a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday look. So that'll be interesting. I, I, I do look forward to uh, some of the podcasts on non-game days because I feel like we have a little bit more time to relax and stretch out and, and, and not have to rush things with the million things that we have on our agenda when there is a game. On a day like this, 30 minutes worth of podcast coverage for you all. And we thank you all for listening on this Monday. As you enjoy a great Monday as the Saints had a nice victory over the Bucks last night. And the Pelicans, again, a perfect two in a week. We'll have another podcast for you on Wednesday. We will not have one on Friday due to the Christmas Eve holiday. We want everyone to enjoy it as much as we're going to enjoy it as well with the time spent with our family. Until Wednesday, for Jim, and big thanks to Steve Ashburner. I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.